and welcome to another episode of My Favourite Game from the Honest Football Podcast. So, on the show this week, we've got Colin from Follow the Trawler. Uh, Colin is the non-league aficionado. If there's anything that he doesn't know about non-league football, it's not worth knowing. Um, on a serious note, Colin's a, a really good friend of ours and the podcast. Um, he's a massive advocate of non-league football, something that we obviously share with him. Um, you just hear that in the passion, the way he talks about non-league football in general. His his club in the non-league, which is the Met Police, um, and he's got a fantastic story to do to tell about them. He's obviously part of that club now as an employee as such. Um, but yeah, definitely give him a follow. You can find out all the details of that during the episode. Um, and also, he talks about a brilliant favourite game with of a team that I didn't even know he supported. So it's a yeah, it's a fantastic episode from beginning to end. But I think if you can take anything away from this this episode, is that just follow non-league football. Okay, it is the way forward. It's the best type of football you're going to watch. And I'm hoping that my interview with Colin um, gets that across to you. So enjoy. And don't forget, if you'd like to be part of this favourite game series, just give us a message at Honest Football 3. So yeah, it's a great pleasure to introduce Colin from uh, Follow the Trawler onto the Honest Football podcast. And you're going to come and talk to us about your favourite game, Colin. So uh, yeah, thanks very much for coming on. No worries, mate. All good. Brilliant. So, just um, just tell us a bit about yourself. So, you're what I would describe as a proper, proper non-league fan, but that might not be your only sort of a footballing sort of experience. So, just just tell us maybe a bit about yourself from a footballing perspective. You know, favourite clubs, etc., and really sort of where your love of football began, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, yeah, it does start non-league. Um, historically, my family had connections to Carshalton Athletic going back to the 60s, um, basically running the bar and the social side. So I was at Colston Avenue every other weekend with them and my dad until the early 90s. Um, so, yeah, all my background's basically with Carl Shorten on that side. Yeah, it's quite, um, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, people talk about non-league, but I don't think, you know, when you hear maybe on the radio or at the top level of the game, I don't think they pr- understand what non-league is. I think to them, sometimes League Two is almost non-league, isn't it? So you're talking about like a proper non-league club that, I mean, I, I, you know, the, the three lads who do our podcast, we've all played sort of non-league football and, and it is, it's a completely different kettle of fish, isn't it? As you, you know, you know a lot better than me, but, you know, in the oh, sense of totally. running of it and all sorts, so. Yeah, yeah. So it, they were primarily Isthmian when I and Deodora League, which shows my age. Cool, Deodora League. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, there was a lot of going to grounds that it's weird seeing teams now that I used to go and see who were at our level. Right. So Aldershot, Halifax Town, occasionally um, when we were slightly up because obviously the North South divide. Um, the big one for me is Sutton United, who are obviously the local rivals. Right. Uh, they've always been, and Carl Shorten fans going to hate me for saying this, the bigger club because of the amount of years they spent in the conference. Yeah, of course. But yeah. It, it was a Boxing Day tradition, Carl Shorten Athletic versus Sutton United. And there's so much passion there that I don't think you could really understand unless you went to one of those games. And I think that would be the perfect example of a the passion of a non-league game is those local derbies yeah and I think it's something unless you follow or involve a non-league club like you say you don't understand what so just to sort of chisel it out a little bit then what is it about though you know it, it, the atmosphere and because I think is it because those people almost represent a whole community almost is that is that what it is or or not do you know kind of it, it depends on the clubs um and I think it's more about your upbringing you don't tend to switch to it you tend to be bought 
into it at a younger age. Yeah. There are people now coming away from the money side of the game uh, and have become completely disenchanted with the top flight and are coming more to non-league. Mm. But I do tend to find that most people are like, oh yeah, I've been going to non-league games since I was a kid with my dad, etc., etc. Yeah, so I think it's um it's fascinating, like you say, actually, how that 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 family connection. You don't, you know, quite often you hear about people maybe switching, you know, even where they, if they move to a different place for work or whatever it is. But you always sort of try and keep to that non-league club that's nearby, even if you don't necessarily get to games and that. And I think that's so important, isn't it? Because as you can probably testify better than me. It is all run by volunteers, more or less, isn't it? People do it for the love of the game, the love of the club, not for any sort of financial gain or plaudits, really, you know, in that sense. Definitely no financial gain. <laughs> yeah, you, you, it is 100% about passion, and you do feel like you are 100% part of the club. It's. I, I will talk about like the club I support a bit later on, but, yeah, ever since I started going to Met Police, who are my local team, I've, in the space of a year, I've gone from being just a fan to now working unofficially with the club on the program side of things and on the social media side and just the welcome that you get and the appreciation and it's so weird because there's almost a disconnect sometimes between the board and the fans even at that level because they don't get kind of sometimes why you're putting your time in to help so they always think that they, when they contact you saying, oh, would you mind doing this? And it's just a little thing. And you're so happy to do it, but they feel like they're putting you out. It's a really weird experience. Yeah, no, I can imagine, actually. I think it's, um, I just, I don't think, you know, I think at that level, every game means so much. Well, and that's the reason I say that is, you know, as a, you know, if you follow a Premier League team, and I'm not bashing the Premier League, but that example, if you get beat by, for argument's sake, Burnley in a midweek game, you get over it pretty quickly, don't you? But when you're that heavily involved in a, a, a sort of a proper non-league football club, those defeats and stuff can sting for days and days afterwards, can't they? You know, it is because uh, it just means so much more. Because, like you say, it is you're putting your heart and soul and everything into this. You know, and if you don't do that job or that role particularly, then in some cases the game doesn't go ahead. Almost, does it? Yeah, one hundred percent. There's been a couple of games, one specifically this season when I travelled down to Cosport. And we lost somehow 2-1 despite absolutely playing him off the pitch for 80 minutes. And it took me the best part of a week to pick my head back up from that game. It was absolutely shocking. But um, yeah, that's the other thing at this level. Every team is so competitive, especially in our league this year, uh, the Southern Prem. Every team could beat everybody with maybe the exception of Chesham United, who have just come down and have actually got some real money behind them. But everyone else could beat everybody and, and have done this year. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. That's why I just going a little bit sort of uh, sort of local. I think not local, sorry, non-league football. You know this business with that Glenn Tamplin, and I think that's why people worry a little bit. That you know you just mentioned about Chesham and money. You know I think he's taken over at Romford, isn't he? Um, just it's just little things like that. You start to see that elite thing starting to creep in non-league football, and you just hope that those clubs don't quite get you know turned over by some sort of sh- shady businessman that sort of thing because it's not like a, a, a football league club where if they have a bit of a you know it goes bang like it did with Barry there's a chance they could come back if a non-league club goes that's it and invariably a lot of the time they never come back you know and you do worry about people almost treating it a bit like a football manager almost and it's a dangerous thing to do isn't it with with sort of more more local non-league clubs if that makes sense Definitely. Even established teams. Uh, I was really impressed how North Therapy came back, but they had a real battle on their hands uh, with everything that's gone in between them and East Hull 
which I'm not going to go into. There's so much you can read about that, especially uh, the view from the allotment, which is an absolutely fantastic fanzine that North Ferriby run. So you can get a real background on what happened there. Speaking about Tamplin, I'm just going to say he's a character because I just know I'm going to come face to face with him somehow. Oh, I will okay. get him in the cup or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, just already the fact he signed 15 players, I think within 48 hours and got rid of a member of staff who'd been with the club for 15 years yeah, just, which, and made himself manager. There's just something so inherently wrong about that. Yeah, and you just don't, in my opinion, you don't do that with non-league clubs. I know we mentioned it earlier, but it is. It's, there's people's communities. It's, it's people's outlets. It's people's, in some cases, it, it's their escape from stuff. And I know you can say that about the top level of the game, but when people are being paid, you know, extraordinary amounts of money, not that it makes it okay, but you know, it's a bit easier to deal with. But like you say, when you've got someone who just comes in, completely guts the club. And I, I do fear for Billericke. They might survive this year, but it's not sustainable what's going to go on with them. And there'd have been proper fans who probably saw this coming earlier on and they're going to see their club probably spiral down or possibly or something like that. And the same thing, it's just, it's not football manager enough. I, you know, I think people like him are so, so dangerous. Yeah, definitely. In, even with my lifetime, I remember teams like Scarborough and Darlington being established teams in the third and fourth divisions and they've taken so long just to come back to where they are now and that's at step seven and eight so yeah no exactly no no completely agree Colin well while we're on um, the subject of uh, sort of non-league I would say you are the the non-league aficionado um, tell us a bit more about your sort of uh, social media presence you know I I just I've got to be honest I love your passion for non-league football I haven't been sort of a player and now a bit of a coach in non-league football and stuff I really get like the the support and, and all of that and how important it is. Um, so yeah, just tell us a little bit about where you know a where people can find you and then what it is you do in, in that sense with your involvement with Met Police and all of that. If that makes uh, makes a bit of sense. Yeah, th- this isn't going to be deliberately vague, but we are still trying to work out exactly what we are. So right. follow the trawler on Twitter at follow trawler. We started as a podcast, me and two friends. Uh, but they wanted to focus more on the Premier League. One's a Manchester United fan, one's a West Ham fan. Uh, one's actually involved in the West Ham youth setup. So it was kind of cool getting that kind of feedback. But I've always been more about the world game and just those interesting little stories and, and non-league, which is where I was brought up. So the podcast thing kind of stopped and we're still trying to... Well, it's now effectively just me. I'm trying to work out what exactly FTT is. Yeah. So we take on weird little projects uh, such as the AHCC, the Adam Hampson Charity Challenge, right? which is basically me challenging Adam Hampson, who was playing for FC Clacton last year, which is my hometown. Right. Um, if he could score more than 15 goals, I would make a donation to charity. If they got less, I got a t-shirt, which the team signed. Right. Okay. Yeah. He went and absolutely murdered it and scored 25. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> this year, we've now expanded that even further. We've now got four non-league players competing. And it's whoever gets the most, you get to choose where donation goes to charity. So we're just trying to get these little things to interact with local teams, follow them, try and give them a little bit of wider coverage, as well as looking at the game, and just trying to put something back in, sometimes financially, sometimes just for exposure. You'd be surprised a number of clubs are like, thanks so much for retweeting this. We've now got another 10, 15, 20 followers who we didn't have before that. So yeah. it, it's just that kind of thing. I think you make an excellent point there, exposure and actually how important that is to, to teams at that level. So I think I, I don't, 
um, I, I think you're doing yourself a disservice in the way you sort of maybe sold yourself a bit there. I think what you do is is a very important job. You don't need to necessarily have a, uh, a you know a set sort of boundary to work within. And I think you know getting involved, like you say, with these charity bets and then etc. You know, I think that, that's fantastic. Just really quickly, the, the follow the trawler is that in reference to the Eric Cantona famous interview, or is that completely coincidental? One hundred percent is to do with that. Uh, <laughs> it was just one of those times. For me, it was a juxtaposition of kind of what I wanted to be, where you think football is this, and then somebody goes and takes it in a different direction and goes, no, this is how I see it. As wild and crazy as that is, it makes you look at things in a slightly different way. And I was like, that's kind of what I want to do. Yeah, no, no, I think that's fantastic. I mean, to be honest, Eric Cantona himself is probably, you could do a whole episode on his quotes, couldn't you? But it's, uh, no, I think, I, I I get what you mean, actually, about the... It is, I don't know about you, but recently it does feel more so than ever, the elite level of the game, it's so, I feel so disengaged with it, you know, like the Premier League, you know, and all of that. So it is, I think it's amazing the way you do what you do in terms of shining a light on non-league clubs and and, and players who wouldn't normally get that kind of, you know, um, attention really. And that, because if in my experience of non-league football, people don't play it for a living, they play it as a hobby, they play it as enjoyment. And to try and better themselves, you know, in terms of maybe as a footballer or whatever. And I think the the what you know, a lot of it comes down to work rate. And what I mean by that is, is that every week people are just trying their best. No one goes out there, in my opinion, at that level of the game to just sort of have an afternoon out, you know, and pick up a wage. You know, it just doesn't happen, does it? You know, so well, sorry, I shouldn't say that generally, but generally it doesn't <laughs> happen. Um, so I think that it's it's amazing that you know those lads are getting getting some rewards now from people like yourself for that, really. Yeah, every game matters. Uh... And when you hear somebody, especially in non-league games, going, so-and-so is not trying, half the time I just get so angry. And it's like, you have no idea what they've gone through just to be here today. Yeah, They've probably cancelled work. They've been doing training around their day job because with the Met, I'm talking to a couple of players, so I know what they do during the day. Mm. And having that little bit of insight gives me a little bit more of, oh, yeah, be on the pitch that is what you're going through. So yeah, it is, I have tried I, to give a little bit of that in the program. I, I've tried to do like a focus on each player to try and give people more of a background. Uh, and I, I think once you get that perspective, you can appreciate it a little bit more. Well, while we're on that subject, and tell us what it is exactly. I know you mentioned the Met Police earlier as you know being your local club and you do a lot of work with them. Just sort of tell us really in the sense of a not not day to day, but you know what I mean because obviously it's not a full time job. But what it is you do for them? So you mentioned about programs, etc. And maybe just, you know, so Met Police as a team, because it's got quite a unique sort of background, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, tell us yeah. a little bit more about them. Okay, so I'll narrow it down to the basics. Firstly, not associated with the police anymore. Haven't been for nearly 15 years. Right. Uh, it used to be a works team, and it used to be all policemen. Now there are no policemen in the squad whatsoever, due to basically a change at the head of the Metropolitan Police and they said that uh, acting officers could not get time off to play. So the club had a decision to make. They could have a fold, or they could become a proper football team. I say that as in not a works team. Yeah, no, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, they decided to go that way. So the police connections, there are still links, especially at board level. Uh, the chairman is very established uh, in the police force. Oh, apologies for that. That's all right, um, yeah, he's really established in the police force and there is still some money coming into the club from connections to uh, a long-running lottery programme that's been going for years. 
and they still play at Imber Court, which is the Metropolitan's Police Leisure um, facility, basically, which has rugby pitches and football pitches. Right, so that's okay. pretty much as far as that connection goes. Uh, my involvement. So my first game for them was actually last October. I haven't been involved for a massively long time. I've been completely honest about that. But the club completely won me over um, to the point where I'm now at pretty much every home and away game. And this year is the club's 100th centenary year. And they were going to switch to a digital program. Right. And I'm so anti-digital program, it's untrue. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Sorry, go on, you go first, go on. They really annoy me. I've had so many arguments with, like, chairman and post on the board of, oh, it's the future. I'm like, no, it's just a different direction. It doesn't have to be the direction. Yeah. For for me, it's such a great memento to have from a game whether it be you know the Met Police or whether it be an England international you know so invariably those digital ones they get lost in your inbox eventually you know you might print one out but what's the point if you're going to do that you might as well buy the program do you know what I mean so I, I think I can understand maybe they're trying to go in a different direction and be a bit more cutting edge but proper football fans want the program still a physical one I mean you know in my opinion anyway but yeah uh, definitely so what I basically did was I said give me one year I will completely fund the programs and I will show you that there is a way to keep this going. Um, so that is my involvement on that front. And FTT used to do live coverage of the games, just tweeting what I was thinking and keeping fans updated. And the Met said, would you mind doing that officially? So that wow. I now do match day Twitter coverage. That's incredible. That is, I think that, you know, just to hear you say that, like the dedication to basically fund the programming yourself, give up your own time to then, you know, do a job that, that I'm not saying anyone was doing it before, but you know, to fill a void basically within the club, um, all off of your own back. I think it's fascinating and genuinely I've got so much admiration for you for doing that because, you know, clubs at that level, they, they need as many people as they can get, don't they, to do stuff. And, you know, if you got, if, they, if everyone had the same enthusiasm and dedication for, a local football club is what you did. I don't think we'd have teams sort of folding as much as they do, to be honest. But I'm really lucky. I've got a really good teamwork with me. Uh, Gary Langley, who's involved with the Northwestern League. He does the programme uh, on an editorial basis, uh, has done for years, and he stayed on. Despite the fact he's got so much to do, he's, he's staying on to help me. And um, I'm fairly sure you've had a couple of soccer swappers on here. Uh, part of the fan portal, uh, yes. footy print, uh, are doing our programme this year. Uh, and they have been so, so helpful with me as a complete amateur going, I've got this idea. Can you make it happen? And, and like every article I've put up has looked fantastic. Every program has looked great. So it actually looks like I know what mm. I'm doing half the time, but it's mostly because of the people around me. Oh, no, no, no. You're selling yourself short there, Colin. No, I'm not, uh, I don't, I'm not having that one. But yeah, no, no, I get, I get you. Mean. I think that's the thing is that, you, you know, it, it's, it's beneficial to other people to help, to, you know, to get them involved as well. But I think that, that's sort all of teamwork. But I think that's what, you know, at times, I think for me, I, I love that fan portal that we're part of. I think it's a brilliant sort of thing. And the reason I say that is football at times can be quite divisive. It can be quite tribal. And actually it's moments like, well, not moments, sorry, it's times like this, like what you're saying, you can be in contact with someone in a, a different part of the country. And, and it's that football that, that underpins that relationship. That's what draws you together. You know, that you, people you probably wouldn't necessarily be in contact with otherwise. Friends you'd have if you, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have had otherwise if it wasn't for football at whatever level it is. And I think, you know, people sometimes need to embrace that a bit more. I think that actually football is, it brings people together. It's for everyone. It's a community thing. And it's, you know, not 
necessarily as divisive as what is always portrayed, if that makes sense. Exactly. It's a tired cliche now, but together stronger, really, especially at a level that we're all trying to be. It's very true. If you can go out and say, look, I kind of want to do this. What feedback can you give us? And just the people giving you those different perspectives of, well, how about this? And you can ignore them. But every now and again, you will see a fantastic idea. It's like, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? And we all are better for that. I think that's that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I totally agree. So just um, just before we move on to your favourite game, then. So you mentioned about follow the trawler and obviously following you on that. In terms of the Met Police, um, where can people sort of stay in contact with them? Is there any ways they can engage with the club, whether it be through you or you know any other sort of channels, really? Yeah. So if you go on Twitter, it's Met Police FC. Uh, I cannot remember the Insta address because I very rarely use it. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was just, it's, yeah, maybe the Twitter sort of thing. Just uh, it's probably a bit easier, but, isn't it, to follow? To be yeah. honest, <laughs> we're all on. We're on across all social media. I'm involved primarily on the Twitter front, uh, and obviously metropolitanpolicefc.com. So uh, .co.uk, sorry. Cool. And yeah, so in terms of getting to a game, you know, if anyone's in the, the sort of area, ah, uh, yes, down in Imbercourt, which is in East Molesey. So. Basically, it's Kingston plus a couple of miles. Uh, it's not far from Hampton Court, actually. You, you basically you walk from Hampton Court. It's about five, ten minute walk from there. The nearest train station is Thames Ditton. So Great. if you want to come along, by all means, and come and search me out. I'm on with a camera looking very shy and hiding at the back. <laughs> Spot on. Cheers, Colin. Right. OK, well, let's move on then. So let's, um, let's talk about your favourite ever football match. So just to set the scene before you, uh, you sort of talk to us about it. Um, you know, really, it's... If anyone else, sorry, oh, sorry, Colin, I'll redo that bit because I'll cut that bit out. Sorry. Okay. Right. Bear with me. Sorry. So yeah. So Colin, we'll we'll move on and we'll talk about your favourite ever football match. Um. So yeah, just sort of set the scene for us. Uh, you know, doesn't have to be a game you watch. Could be one that you um see on saw on TV. Could be one you're at. Could be one you're involved in personally yourself. So yeah, just tell us about your your favourite ever football match, please. So I'm um, gonna give you a little bit of a backstory. Oh, yes. Um, So I was living in Colchester at the time. I am an Essex boy, but uh, I spent a lot of my teen years up in Yorkshire, uh, which is where I became a Doncaster Rover fan. Right. Uh, They still hold a very, very close place to my heart. Last weekend was very difficult when they played AFC Wimbledon, which is my nearest league team to where I live. Right. And I couldn't go to that because I had other commitments. But I'm going to the league game in a couple of weeks' time. And they, they almost get. Providence over the Met. It, it, it's really touch and go. Right. Oh, okay. Wow. But um, yeah, so the date is the 10th of May 2003, and Doncaster Rovers are in the Football Conference playoff against Dagenham and Redbridge. Yeah. It's played at Britannia Stadium in Stoke. I travelled up from Colchester to Bellevue, where we were still playing at the time, our old ground. Oh, gosh, of course. Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it's, it's a not easily forgettable as a ground. It's an absolute toilet and was, but I yeah. would go back there every day of the week. <laughs> uh, as much as I love the keep moat, it, that has such a special place in my heart. Yeah. That ground. And I became a fan in the really dark years of that club when our chairman was hiring members of the SAS to try and burn the club to the ground. Literally. Goodness. The really? only reason he got caught. Oh yeah. Um, basically our chairman at the time, Ken Richardson, hired next member of the SAS to burn down the stands. And the only reason he got caught was because his mobile phone got dropped with a text to Richardson saying, job done. Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh there's no way. Amazing documentaries about the fall and rise of Doncaster Rovers that I really recommend. Um, Rovers Till I Die. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I've, 
yeah look them up on youtube there is some i was gonna say we we love a good uh love a good documentary anyway so yeah the more the more the merrier i'll definitely check that one out yeah it's uh it's an experience <laughs> yeah yeah cool. no, I so yeah i was going when we finished bottom of the league with i think the least points ever with if i remember right it was eight across the entire season uh we only had one player on the books we were playing a lot of youth and loan players it was just an absolute shambles uh getting dicked on by nottingham forest eight nil a couple of times in the league cup people like pierre van hoydonk just looking like this is before he became the superstar when right. he first came over and he was having those dodgy that that first dodgy year uh, yeah, and he yeah. just absolutely tore us apart but um yeah so we went down into the conference and struggled there for two two years and then the third year we were in the conference playoffs um taking on Dagenham Redbridge the game was played at the Britannia Stadium and yeah so I traveled up to from Colchester to Bellevue to get the coach and the one thing I remember was just a feeling of tension amongst the fans which I'll, I'll come back to in in a minute because it, it has context um i remember being interviewed by local radio who were on the coach at the time and all i could say was if we go up i just hope the fans keep coming because we need them yeah when we get into the league because uh, we weren't getting great attendances in the conference uh but yeah we we drew two all at the end of normal time uh with paul green the former island international Right. Going our first, who came through our youth system, yeah. uh, and Dave Morley, uh, another name for the past for Dagenham Redbridge. Mark Steen scored, the former Chelsea striker. Right, yes, yeah, and yeah. I yeah. think he was thirty-five, maybe even thirty-six at that point. Um, but we go into extra time; everything's really tense, and something happened that I, you might actually know better than me on this. I don't think there is any competition that still does this, but in the hundred and tenth minute, Francis Tierney scored the winner a golden goal in extra time god blimey yes yeah no, those are the days aren't they? yeah and if just, you don't know what asking sorry just in that, that yeah. extra time period what is going through your head in the sense of are you you know were you feeling quite confident that of the two teams you would be more and more likely to score or was it like because i always found even in the you know younger days golden goal i was so paranoid for the half an hour if it went that far of just being like what is going to happen here like you're just constantly on edge. I don't know, what was it like for you in that sense? Oh, 100%. Um, from the minute that Taka Mustafa equalised for Dagenham in normal time, I was convinced we weren't going to win. I right. had, I was just a bundle of anxiety because they had a really good strike force at that level. They had Mark Steen and Danny Ship, uh, And yeah. Danny Ship was a, a really good goal scorer at that level. Mm. And in goal, they had Tony Roberts, who right. was still a League One goalkeeper, but he'd basically... Uh, retired and claimed insurance so he could only play at semi-pro level. Oh, really? Uh, that, yeah, so if Dagenham went up, he'd have to leave the club. I love those stories. You just don't get them anymore, do you? That's brilliant, that is. Good. Yeah, good. yeah, so uh, we've got this really international level. I remember Paul Terry was playing as well, actually, for Dagenham. I forgot that. JT's oh, right, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we go into extra time and I'm, I'm convinced we're going to lose. And, and then Tierney scores the winner and just the emotion and the pain of the last five, six years of the decline of the club just all came out in that moment. Mm. Like every fan, it, was, it wasn't it was just a roar. It was a real expression of 
we're finally back where we belong. And yeah. that can sound a bit arrogant. It's like, well, no team belongs in the league. Okay, but you look at Doncaster's history and we felt that we should be part of that. And we've gone through so much. Yeah. And I and, think... God, sorry, yeah. No, I was just going to say, I, I basically rang my boss um, back in Colchester and I went, I don't know if you can hear me. I don't care. We're back in the league. And I'm just screaming at him down the phone, <laughs> almost in tears with my arms around one of my friends. And it was just so unbelievable. Uh yeah, just thinking about it now. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, that was my next sort of question. I, I, you know, to 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 proper fans of proper football clubs, for want of a better phrase, those those moments last for ages. Like, I mean, you know, you know, you probably don't. I'm not saying you did, but you know, you almost don't sleep that night because you're so excited off the adrenaline rush, off of the the buzz of that. You know, you're going into work the next couple of days, and it, it's still you live off of that for for so long, don't you? Compared to you know. Those matches mean those sort of matches. mean so much more almost to fans at that level than what they do the top level. I'd argue, you know, it just goes on and on and on for for days afterwards, doesn't it? That that buzz you get from it. It was. There was also some concerns uh, because that season we had two really young and promising players. One was called Chris Whitman, who was our centre forward, and we had Andy Warrington, who played in the yeah. left wing. And we had heard that they were both going to leave the club because they'd been given better offers elsewhere right this was like i said 2003 so nothing was really established we didn't know it wasn't 100 percent out there but we'd heard really strong rumors and i remember almost being in tears begging them at pitch side not to leave the club mm. especially andy watson he's one of the best players i've seen who never quite made it he left us didn't redo really anything i think he ended up at um Geisley or something like that he, he really dropped yeah. down the levels um, Tris Whitman now plays for the England veterans and he's still banging them in. Right. But yeah, so even on that high, being a Doncaster fan, there's still these negatives going on. No, it's which true. you kind of get used to. <laughs> well, because if, if I'm honest, I've recently read, um, and this will be a big name to you for being a Doncaster fan, but Michael McIndoe's uh, autobiography. Oh, Wildling that, is absolutely brilliant. It's brilliant, isn't it? Because obviously, he, you, I think you signed him from Yeovil that year. Was it that summer that you... When you, when Doncaster got promoted, and did you win the league or something like that? And then they signed um, him. We signed him because we came up and we offered him more money. Right, that's what it was. Unfortunately, then, that's a major thing about McIndoe's background. He will yeah. go anywhere there is more money. Yeah, I have hugely divisive opinions on him as a player. He's one of the best I've ever seen in person. Well, as yeah. a person, I absolutely hate him with a passion for the way he left us. To but go I to Barnsley. Think, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I think, there, like you say, it is that money. But that, because I didn't, was it two promotions on the bounce? I'm trying to remember this and recall it from the book. Did, did Doncaster win the league that year or was it the year after or something, after they got promoted? Uh, we went up first year. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah and I remember, I'm sure in his book he was saying that it was, you know, did he, I think he had like an unbelievable season that year. And, and he was that, called so. up to Scotland B while oh, he was right. playing for us in League Two. Right, there you go. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, and that sort of maybe kick-started a bit of a thing for Doncaster, didn't it? But then it, it sort of... Well, like, I think when you follow teams like Doncaster, let's be brutally honest, uh, and I've said this to a few people about different clubs, you don't necessarily follow them for the, the, the frequent glory. You know, you get those moments and you get those periods where you might have a couple of years of, of uh, you know, success and brilliance. But I think you always know that eventually this isn't going to last and it is going to go, you know, something might go wrong or something else might happen, you know, so... Yeah, it's seeing where we are now, even in League One, that back when I started following them, that, that seemed like a dream. Um, 
the fact that at one point we had El Haj Juf up front, leading the front line with Billy Sharp. Oh, that's right. I completely. We had that. such a good strike force for, for like one season. Unfortunately, that project uh, failed. Where we had Pascal Chimbonda, um, Heriton yeah. Alunga. Um, uh, who was the former Manchester United midfielder who com- got sent off after 35 seconds of his debut? I completely forgot about that. That was incredible. Yeah, but were the second season, no, first season we were in a championship with 10 games to go. We were four points outside the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. were dreaming big. It was it was unbelievable. But um, we, we were looking up. We were like, this, the premiership's not far away. We kind of tailed away and it didn't quite happen. But yeah, and we also had great cup runs coming within literally 30 seconds of knocking Arsenal out of the League Cup and getting into the semi-finals. Yeah. Beating Aston Villa 3-0 when they had a really good team. And Man City. We beat Man City when Stuart Pearce was manager in that That's same right. cup run. Yeah. That, those memories are so good. But Sorry. for me, it's players like Simon Marples, Tim Ryan, Dave Morley. Names that will mean absolutely nothing to anyone except Doncaster fans at that time. It's like, yes, that moment. Yeah, exactly. So no. Much. I'm just, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to go on about that, that sort of period, but actually I think that's a, that's a brilliant place to end it really. I, I, you know, I think the, I, just to sum everything up, I think it's fantastic to get, you know, yourself on just to hear about your non-league experience, being a, a Doncaster fan and obviously the, the involvement of the Met Police. So it, it, I can't really say much more than just thank you, Colin, so much for coming on and, and just, just for being a genuinely honest football fan. I think there's, there's, there's more people out like you out there. But I think, uh, you know, not that it's a dying breed, but I think we need to, to hold on to people like yourself. You know, you, you know you're a credit to, uh, to, to non-league football and stuff. So just keep doing what you're doing, I suppose, is what I'm saying. But yeah. Thanks, I appreciate that. And you too, especially calling out the stupidity of league rulings, especially regarding oh, right. fans, which <laughs> oh, that, is yeah. hilariously amusing, but also is such an issue. Just the way that even those little fines can damage a club if you get four or five of those at one hit and you haven't got that income. No, it's, that's true. Actually, it's destroying. It's 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 quite funny, but also quite worrying that they they're in place. Some of them, but but yeah. yeah. But no, Colin, thank you so much, top man, and uh, yeah, we'll hopefully hear again from you soon. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time.